All right, so we're talking about First uh, Timothy chapter three. Man, it's been a great week having a vision conference, and uh, we were just pastor meeting talking about all the various commitments people uh, have made last week, and it's very encouraging. And uh, and now I'm just praying that we continue in that. So we've talked about uh, chapter 2. We're out of chapter 2. We talked about the warriors and the warfare, the praying warriors, the praying men, the warring women, and, uh, and those godly characteristics. Thank you, Ron. That was wonderful. Ron could tell the lights weren't fully up. Did you say something to Ron? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice to have 100%. So tonight we're going to jump into chapter 3, and I'm going to go ahead and read. I'm not going to get through the whole chapter, but I'm going to go ahead and um, uh, get a start on it. And actually, let me just, let me. I don't want to take you guys too far in the, in the time I've got. So let's just look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 1. And uh, and then uh, I'm going to skip to verse 16, which is kind of odd. But uh, look at verse 1. It says, this, I, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And we'll come back around to all the meat and potatoes. And then come down to the verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up into glory. So this uh, this is an interesting thing. Paul is training his most influential minister and son in the Lord, who, which is who? Timothy. Timothy, right? He's the one in the book that we're titled to here. In chapter 1, he charged Timothy to war good warfare. In chapter 2, he begins his charge to the church that includes all male and female members, which we covered that thoroughly. And he knows, uh, now he gets his focus on the characteristics of the church officers and uh, the church offices, I should say, rather, and then the officers and then the congregation. And uh, and you've heard it said that character counts, and that is true, especially when it comes to representing the Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the seven mysteries revealed to the church is the mystery of Christ's bride, the church. That's found in Ephesians 5.32. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The relationship between a Christian man and his wife is a picture of Christ and the church. This is very important as we approach this passage because Paul is setting in order the characteristics and the character of the church. And it, and it is the, the members of First Timothy 2 and the officers in First Timothy 3 that comprise the body of Christ. Just like the men are to be praying and the women are to be sober and modest, the leadership of the church should reflect the integrity and character of the Lord so the gospel light shines far and wide. So, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work, but there's a mystery, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world. So, uh, you know, I start with those verses because um, uh, this will be uh, kind of a two-part sermon, and I'll work our way through each verse of the chapter after this. But the first thing I want you to notice is verse 16 here, this this verse that says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This is not a mystery uh, to the believer, and I think you guys understand that. The mysteries are revealed to us. Jesus took his disciples aside and said in the Gospels, uh, you know, he's like, why are you, they asked him, why are you speaking in parables? He goes, because it's not for them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But 
then he explained and expounded the, the, the parables to them so they did understand it. The mysteries are things that we know uh, and, and understand. They're not things that we don't know or don't understand. We understand that Jesus was God and that he lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, rose from the dead, delivering captivity captive, and ascended to the throne of God, acting as our high priest. And we'll celebrate all that this coming Easter, right? This next, next week. So we know he returned to instruct the disciples for 40 days and then ascended in the clouds, uh, promising to return the same way he came in Acts uh, 1, 8, and 9. So there's no controversy in our understanding of this great truth. Paul wants to make sure that there is no controversy or conflict in what we know and what we live. So we're going to talk about the office, the officers, and the congregation. Paul is establishing this clear point to punctuate this charge to Timothy and the men and the women and the officers of the church. So God is saying that people should not mistake you for anything other than the ambassadors of Christ. And uh, you guys are probably familiar with 2 Corinthians 5.20. It's not in your notes. But Paul says there, now, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Uh, of course, there he's saying that we are ambassadors for Christ, uh, Paul and the apostles. And 2 Corinthians 4.3, he says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when Harry Truman was president of the United States, he had a plaque at his desk and it said, The buck stops here. Everybody's seen that and knows about that. Well, the buck does stop here. Um, The buck stops with those who claim to be Christians. So if our gospel is hid... It is hid to them that are lost. So it's imperative that we use the offices that God has blessed us with well. And it is the and it is the glory or the light of holiness or godliness that will shine brighter than anything that we say. And so that's pretty convicting. Have you ever heard the saying, your actions speak so loud I can't hear what you're saying? That's true. That is the, that is the case of the Christian, especially those of us who are in the office of the pastorate or the deacon, which are the two offices that are mentioned, and the officers that then stay in those. So for your notes, we're talking about the glory of godliness, right? So he, he concludes in verse 16 talking about the, the mystery of godliness and how important that is because it, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. But the idea you know the word glory is dealing with the magnification of light um, we are manifesting the light of God through these offices and so character is what is so important so point one uh, the glory of godliness is reflected in the characteristics of the office so the blank is characteristics characteristics root word there being character and so uh, this is a true saying if a man desire the office so before we get into the officers, let's talk about the office. It's a good office, point A. It's a good office. Um, he says uh, he desires a good work. It's a good office. So there are two offices mentioned in the in the chapter. Um, the first office, of course, is that of the bishop. And the second office is found in verse 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. So that's the second office, the office of the, the uh, bishop, verse 2, and the office of the... Verses 1 and 2, 
in the office of the deacon. Verse 8. So today there are many false teachings about the office of bishop and elder and deacon. Um, The office of of bishop is not an overseeing bishop that rules over the elders in a geographic region uh, as the the Presbyterians and some of the liturgical uh, Protestants would have. Uh, that's a false system that you will find in a Roman Catholic church and in some Protestant groups, but it's not a biblical mandate, uh, precedent, or standard. So you're not going to find that in the Bible. The concept of an archbishop is born out of man's tradition and not the mind of God. There's no such thing as an archbishop in the Bible. Uh, and so the word for bishop simply means visitation, just as a visitation. And so... Um, the implication is that the bishop inspects or cares for the needs of the flock because he is responsible for overseeing. It doesn't mean that he is the overlord. And so uh, biblical leadership requires that the leader be a servant, serving both the Lord and the congregation in maturity. So this, uh, this, word used is, this word is used in Acts 20 and verse 17 as elders. So it's interchangeable. As it's translated, in one place it's translated bishop, the other place it's translated elders. Of course, context is one of the things that delivers that. So let's just go for a walk in the in the Word. If you go back to Acts chapter 20, uh, we're going to see a couple of these mentions. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. Acts twenty seventeen it says, and, and, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. The same word here for elders is the same word for bishop. Bishop. So we we could use another copy, Amy Joe. Did you get that number? No? If you go to my office, um, there might be one there untouched on the computer ready to print. Oh, he's got one untouched ready to print? Okay, we're good. All right, you're welcome. So we're under. We're talking about the officers. First uh, Timothy three one. It's reflected in the characteristics of the office, and it's a good office. And now we're in Acts chapter twenty, verse seventeen. So that word there, uh, elders, is the same word for bishop. In Acts twenty and verse twenty eight, uh, the Bible says here, uh, "Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock." Right over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Which word there do you think is the same word? Yeah, overseer, right? That's the word that we're looking at. So there it's translated overseer. And you can see from that where you could get you could you could read into it, oh well then this guy is not just a bishop, but he's an archbishop, right? So a lot of the false cults have the same type of mi- mindset. They use a central government like uh, the RLDS, the LDS. Um, and so uh, they, they always have people kind of administratively over the elders. So they have the bishop that's over the pastors, and they got this hierarchy that's just not found in the Bible. But they pull that from words like that, overseer, right? Now, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, again, we can just keep looking and, at these words. And if you're wondering, like, what are you talking about? It's the same word. It's different words. Well, it's different words in English. This is the same Greek word translated differently in different uh, places in the in the New Testament. So, and that's not, you don't have to be a, a super scholar to figure that out. A good concordance will help you noodle all this out. So this isn't a, isn't a rocket science. In Titus 1.5, the Bible says here, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain. Here, here it comes, elders in every city as I have appointed thee. So here we have elders. So we have bishop, we have overseer, we have elders. 
Um, so call, uh, Paul calls on Titus to ordain elders, and then in Titus 1.7, check this out. Now we got bishop again. And for the bishop, same word, must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. So we're interchanging that word. Bishop, elder, overseer, um, all the same word, and we also call that pastor. Peter calls the overseers elders in 1 Peter 5.1. And so the, the word elder, bishop, pastor, all refer to the same office. And, uh, and so that's a little word study there, those references. I, did, I don't think I left those in your notes. So it's Acts 20.17, Acts 20.28, Titus 1.5, Titus uh, 1.7. And then first, I didn't read 1 Peter 5.1, uh, but that is the last reference I, I quoted there. All right, so the office uh, is a gift to the body. Um, and we all, man, in this age in we live, people are feeble-minded, as I mentioned this morning, um, and so they get so confused about gifts. Ephesians four eleven. Uh, I just had a discussion this morning about the gifts, um, and, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. There's the word pastors uh, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, uh, till we all come into the. Uh, unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God gives these um, officers and the offices that they hold as gifts to the body. And so some pastors, he says, and teachers. So there's the word pastors, which is the same word as elder, bishop, and uh, the other ones that we looked at, and overseer that we saw earlier. All right, so, uh, and how long does he give us these? Well, until, right, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith. And, right, so it's just for a season. There's going to be a time when we have the chief shepherd. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, and we all fall under him. And so this is a limited time offer and a limited time office. So this is the time limit on the office. When the chief shepherd returns, the office will be closed, and we will all come into the unity of the faith unto a perfect man, and that man, of course, is Christ. That does put a little bit more weight. Back to the very beginning, uh, I opened with uh, verses 1 and verse 16 on the mystery of godliness. So there is, a there is, and I actually, this is, it's a, you would think I coordinated these messages. I wish I was that smart. I'm not that smart. So this morning, you know, I was talking about that Leviticus 6 um, uh, reference of what the priest, and of course the pastor is not a priest any more than you're a priest. We're all priests because we all have entrance to the throne of God uh, through Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there's a there is a certain uh, expectation, right, of that priest that the whole thing was to be a burnt offering, uh, more so than the sin offering, right? Because all of that pictures Christ, who is the high priest, the priest after the order of Melchizedek. Everything is fulfilled in Christ, but. You are stepping into a position where you should represent God. You're re- you are there in Christ's stead, reconciling people to Christ, and so uh, the glory of God should be shining, and uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, and until it's not, so we need to make sure that uh, we are who we are supposed to be. So this is why the Holy Ghost associates the office of a bishop and deacon with the mystery of godliness. Not only is Jesus one with the Father, but we are too. As the bride of Christ, the bride is one. That's what the mystery. And I opened up talking about the, the mystery of the church in Ephesians chapter five. So we're one with Christ, and so it's important that we stay unified. Okay, so it's a good office, and at point B, it's a good work. It's a good work. Uh, 
Now you know why I love so many lines. I got a lot to say in between these little points. So <clears throat> notice the uh, notice the passage here. We we just read from Ephesians four twelve that this office is not a cakewalk, but requires work. Right, the work of ministry. I literally just just was talking about this in the pastor meeting tonight. As far as just the uh, the work that is required. You know, just to do the the vision conference. I mean, so many people went to work, and the admin office. You know, there's they got two and a half people. Them, those two, and I'm a half a person, and so uh, so they're working tirelessly to pull off all these things: the marriage conference, the vision conference, the Easter church in the park. I mean, it just seems like one after the another after the another. Uh, you know, VBS. Uh, yeah, there's Bibles. There's all kinds of stuff going on. People are busy. Okay, <clears throat> there's work to ministry. That's why I said there's work. Uh, this isn't for the people who don't want to work, right? There's a reason you put your hand to the plow. A, a plowman is working, busting those clods. So notice that this passage that we just read in Ephesians 4.12, um, that this office is, is not the cakewalk. It requires work for the work of the ministry. So First Timothy 5.8, the, script, uh, the scripture saith, First Timothy 5.18, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. So an ox is not a uh, a speed demon, right? Um, so they are relatively slow beasts, and they move methodically, but they have a lot of power, right? So uh, just because they don't move fast doesn't mean they don't move strong, right? They're strong beasts. The ox, the oxen are strong, and so an ox is uh, is uh, is methodical about his labor. So in the text in 1 Timothy 3, 1, it says a man desiring the office of a, of a bishop, right? he's desiring a good work. Many wonder what kind of work can be associated with being a pastor. I mean, he's golfing, sitting around at the coffee shop, which, I, by the way, I need to get into that. I, I was up at the coffee shop because there were pastors in town. I never visit the coffee shop. I don't like coffee. And, uh, man, I'm like, man, this is the pastor hangout. All the all these Christian dudes are hanging out here at the coffee shop. So I'm like, get out. I should have thrown the tables over. Get out of here. You're ruining our testimony. <laughs> I don't, I'm just kidding. I don't care who goes to the coffee shop. But uh, where I come from, coffee shops, just that's just not masculine. But anyway, uh, um <clears throat> I didn't see many construction workers frequenting the coffee shop up there. So, anyhow, moving on. Um, um, I don't know. It's better than the liquor store, I guess. So, many wonder what kind of work can be associated with being a pastor. And, um, after all, we know that preachers don't do anything. But uh, there's a lot of things uh, to do, and I put that in quotes, to do as a pastor, uh, you know, from cleaning the toilets and taking out the trash, uh, to mowing the lawn at the church. Uh, but primary, the primary thing we're supposed to do is engage in the study of God's Word and prayer. And if you don't think prayer is work, just try it. I'm telling you, it is work to pray as you ought. Acts 6.2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the, of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Because you you know that's when deacons get instituted in Acts six two, uh, when uh, the uh, the uh, the widows started murmuring and there started to be problems and they just got to be a problem. So the, they said, you know what, we need to do something here, and uh, they selected the deacons. So um, now they weren't called deacons, but it was a great pattern for what would become deacons. So as easy as it may sound, and it does sound easy. Is a fight to keep the main priorities the main priorities, because ministry requires work that's not associated with studying God's word and praying. There's a lot to do other than study the word of God and pray. 
And so that is actually the tension uh, in the office, is trying to get done the studying and the praying that you're supposed to on top of the things that are not studying and praying. And so... Um, and so Peter admonished the elder in 1 Peter 5 to feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, having a ready mind. So the, the preparation of the mind and the heart is of the utmost importance. The man in the office must work at having his mind ready because the oversight of the flock is his first priority. So when I worked at, uh, at the, in the construction business, one of our pipe fitters um, <clears throat> thought... Uh, um, thought his boss made him a sweet deal. Now, this was a guy who worked in the field. And uh, and so uh, one day a, a sales position came open, and he was the right guy for the job. And uh, and so they brought him in the service department. And so he told me that he'd always wanted to, to have one of those cushy jobs in the office because he's always a working man out in the field. And uh, and he told me, he's, yeah, this was the good life. He said the first day he was in the office, he put his feet up on the desk and leaned back and thought, man, this is it, I've made it. And uh, he told me that was the last time he ever put his feet on his desk. And uh, and he thought he really had it easy. But now he wishes he could put his tools back on and go back in the field, you know. And so um, he's found, he found that being in the office was quite stressful. And uh, he, he longed for the days of going out and uh, just running jobs out in the field. But the office is, a, that guy's actually retired now. I think he retired, I think, or he's going to retire this, this, uh, this summer, he told me. Oh yeah, he stayed in the office. He's too valuable not to be in the office. He's a, he's a good guy. He's got a good people skills. Uh, he's a well connected fellow. But um, uh, the the office is a good work. And if you don't want to work, you don't want to be a pastor. And so if you're looking to sit down on the job and not press toward the mark, even when it's painful, the office is not for you. So you gotta you got to know what you're getting into. So Paul had, a, had made his case as an apostle that, uh, that to the Corinthians, Paul made, that, I'm sorry, Paul had to make his case as an apostle to the Corinthians uh, that in addition to his care for the churches, he suffered an amazing amount of other difficulty. He didn't want to, but he had to. He had to tell them the whole story. For the pastor who wants to, to whine and complain that their call is too hard for, for their little sheep bite too much, they need to get with Jesus and learn to die. Because Paul's was a lot worse. Um, Jesus learned Jesus learned to die because the point of being a shepherd that follows the chief shepherd means that you're willing to lay down your life for the sheep. That's what John 10:11 says. He's looking for people to lay down their life for the sheep. So the office of a pastor really is not a job, it's a call, which we've been talking about all this last week. Many today see the office as employment uh, as a business type of thing. Frankly, uh, God will give give you a job if you need one. If I need a job, he'll give me one. Um but the reason we minister is because Jesus has called us to have a small part in building his church. That really set in on me when we had our 20-year anniversary. Um, you know, when we start in the church, it's all about getting things off the ground, getting things established, getting things going, you know, and all of that. And next thing you know, you snap your fingers, 20 years goes by. And you're like, whoa, it's 20 years has gone by. And when you look at 20 years, that's no small thing in the light of, in the light of uh, 2,000 years. That's a, that's a sliver. It's a tiny sliver, but it's a sliver of church history we've lived through as a church. I mean, God has birthed us, and God has kept us, and gotten us through a season of uh, church history. And now, so what's that mean? Well, we're not just participating, and we're not just happy to be here. Now we're responsible. 
And that really set in on me on the 20th anniversary. I'm like, whoa, we're responsible for how the outcome comes here. So when you read Revelation 3.17, you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. You know, because now you own, you know, one percent or one tenth of one percent of the whole church age is resting on HBF and our participation in that. And so uh, it, it's amazing when you look at it in those terms. And so it, it isn't just a job. It's a calling. And we have a, a part in building the church with a capital C. Of course, Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we know from Ephesians that we're fitly joined and fitly framed and we are part of edifying one another in love. So we are part of the building process. So the last thing the Church of Jesus Christ needs, and I'm about to point C, but I'm not there yet. The last thing that the Church of Jesus Christ needs is more hirelings. All right, so let's turn to John chapter 11, um, because I've already mentioned it, but let's look at it, because you're probably getting tired by now. So John chapter uh, 10, I said John 11, didn't I? John 10 and verse 11. John 10, 11. Somebody want to read 11 through 14? Okay, that'll be great. I'll take a drink of water. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life to the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not a shepherd, his own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And then catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known the love of mine. Amen, amen probably familiar to all of us that's a great passage and uh, if you're going to understand the mystery of godliness and if you're going to try to be in the office of a bishop or deacon then guess what who do we want to emulate well the chief shepherd right that's who we're wanting to follow and we want to emulate uh, that and uh, that's a calling not a job right the hireling the guy that's hired what's he do whenever the tough times come he splits man he, he gets he gets on what's that what's that website uh whatever.com and he puts his resume out there and uh, what is it yeah indeed and he's 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 gone indeed man he's out of there so he's got a new job but uh when it comes to the ministry man it ain't like that so when i hear men in the pastorate call their their uh calling a career my ears perk up uh, because it tells me they're beginning to lose sight or they've already lost sight of what the what all the office entails and is about and I have heard that. I'm not just saying that from a uh, hypothetical situation. I've been in situations where I'm in a place, I won't say the details, but I hear a pastor say, your career or our career. And I'm like, career? This isn't a career. This is a calling. right?" And maybe it was a Freudian slip. I don't know why we'd bring him into anything. But anyway, uh, whatever the case may be, um, it's not a career. It's a calling. And there is a big difference because we're not hirelings. And so uh, I don't want to be a hireling. So point C, it's, and we'll, we'll be done after with this point. Uh, and next week I'll pick it up and we'll dig into the meat and potatoes of all those character qualities. But uh, I wanted to wrap all this around that. So it's a good office for godly men to desire. Godly men's the blank there. It's a good office for godly men to desire. So it's a good des- it's good to desire to fill the office. All men should ask themselves if that is what God would have for them, and all men in the body of Christ should live their lives in a way that fulfills the character qualities of a shepherd. Because the reality is, if you are a man, God is calling you to be an elder, mature believer that can guide uh, your home at the least, the very least, guiding your home. Your wife, if you have children, your children. If you're a patriarch and you have children and grandchildren, of course, all of those things are so important. 
And so it is for all in the body. Uh, There are many who find uh, after preparing for, quote, full-time ministry that they're really not called to the office of the pastorate. Well, that's fine. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I went. I was at the at the KCBT. I, I knew several men uh, that were good men. Been to Bible college. You know, had kind of gone down that road of feeling like maybe I'm called to be a pastor. But once they did all that, they just they weren't. They just weren't called. Okay, that's fine. Like you think about those who are in HBI and how many of them are in there because they want to be pastors or they just want to serve in some other ministry. Right. But you know, God. That's right. He he equips the called, doesn't he? And so uh, it's good to get equipped, and that doesn't mean necessarily. Uh, I liked what uh, uh, in the QA session, Andrew said that God sends a mass email, and uh, I know that might went over some people's heads, but uh, the, God does use the leadership, and they, the leadership will confirm, the church will confirm when someone is called. And the same thing happens with gifting. You don't need a Myers-Briggs test because uh, spiritual gifting is supernatural, not natural gifting. Uh, we all have natural gifts. We get them from our academic nature, and God can use them. You know, you can turn a wrench without the Spirit of God. And that, that still doesn't mean it's not a, a, a God-given gift. But then there's supernatural. When you get saved, God equips you to, to be a part of something in the body. Frankly, a lot of people don't know their spiritual gifting because they're not mature enough to utilize it. Until you walk by faith, you're never going to know what your spiritual gifting is. And so it's just natural gifting. And that's always frustrated me, especially when we planted the church 20 years ago. That was the that was the rage in all the churches was spiritual testing. And I just come out of all that in the business world, and I was like, this is natural gifting. It's not spiritual gifting. Spiritual gifting, I'll tell you what spiritual gifting is for me, is preaching. I am not a public speaker by nature. I don't like public speaking to this day, but I enjoy preaching. Uh, because Not because I'm good at it, because I'm called to it. I mean, I'm convicted about it. I, I do it because this is what God saved me to do, and I know it. And not only do I know it, but evidently at least somebody believed that enough to ordain me and send me out. So praise God. You know, but, uh, you know, there's fruit there. And that's what matters is uh, glorifying God with the gifts that he gives you. And, and But being a pastor, by the way, is not preaching. That's just part of it. It's not. It's not the. It's the point here is godly. Right? Godly men desire the the office of a pastor. So full time ministry isn't really as great as everybody thinks it is. So uh, you'll never regret uh, training and and getting the biblical training that God can use in your life to to do other things uh, that are equally profitable. My my pastor from our sending church back in the day, KCBT, Jeff Adams, used to say, "If you can do anything else, you should." And uh, he didn't mean that if you're capable of doing anything else, he's saying if you aren't convicted that this is all you can do, then you should probably not do it. You should go do whatever else it is that you think you need to do. And I used to sit and listen to that statement and go, what does he mean by that exactly? Yeah, now I know. I'm more clearly now. Yeah. Uh, and so he meant that if God is not constraining you to the office, then you're at liberty to serve God in whatever way he chooses. Right, you're, you're not. You're not. You know, you're free. If you don't feel constrained, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. So, um, a man who tr- truly desires the office of a bishop must give himself to studying God's word. And so, Proverbs uh, eighteen. Uh, let's look, let's move back there real quick. You're already in John, so it's not too far of a journey back, 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 back. You're on the warning track, almost there. No, I'm not. Keep going. Oh, now I went too far. Anybody got it? Proverbs 18, 1 and 2? All right. Go ahead and read that. Through desire of many having separated himself, seeketh and remember 
fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, that's a good passage. So for the record here on the, the recording, in case anybody in the ether is listening, through desire a man having separated himself seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. That sounds like our culture today, doesn't it? Um, the office is to be held by sanctified men. Right? Godly men desired it's to be held by sanctified men. We talked about that this morning. Right? All Christians are sanctified positionally. This isn't talking about just positional sanctification. There's some evidence that their life is consecrated as a burnt offering uh, to this this uh, work of the of the ministry. So the call to all is to be uh, sanctified. Right? That's not just the pastors. Romans chapter 12. We covered it this morning. Right? Uh, yeah. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. A guy, which is a reasonable service, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Okay, so we know that verse, but that's how the world knows that we're the sons of God, is, is by our consecration. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and uh, verse uh, 15. Now this is important to to me uh, and to us as a church because this is really one of our verses for the vision uh, of, H- of HBF. Philippians 2 and verse 15 here, it says, uh, <clears throat> That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So if we deconstruct verse 15, what that says is, our holiness, right? Our virtue, our glory, uh, whatever synonyms you want to use here uh, to represent light in the world. Well, it comes from being blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. It comes from a godly uh, godliness, the characteristics of Christ in us, the hope of glory, the light of Christ coming through us. Holding, and so the, then he goes on, holding forth the word of life. It's going to be manifest with the word of life, the words of God being held forth, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And so for us, this, the reason this is particularly engaging to me personally is I do believe that we are, um, Ron even mentioned that this morning, and the end times, right? We're, we're, we're right, we're, we are, you know, that little sliver of the pie? If it was a clock, I mean, we're right there before that clock hits and the trumpet blows and we're out of here whatever that timetable is for god to call us up and uh we're not far we're almost there and so when we get there i hope that that uh the apostle paul says whoo i didn't run in vain neither labored i in vain." you at least held fast to the things that i taught in the first century you guys are still holding on to them now like a relay race we're holding not only are we holding forth the word of god but we're holding to the word of god like uh, titus talks about holding fast to the word of god not letting go of the word of god so i take that really personally and I, i'm so thankful that god has brought the publishing uh, ministry to heartland and and actually uh, expanded it in some ways and, and, and kind of morphed it a little bit uh, into more of a perpetual aid to the body outside of our church uh, and, uh, and and not just big projects, not just to make people feel good about putting their hands on the Word of God. It's not just like a... It's not, it does inspire. It's an inspirational thing to do, but it's not just that at Heartland anymore. Now it's actually a, full, a real resource for the body of Christ, for for Oaxaca, for, uh, you know, for, uh, for, for Zambia, 
for uh, Hungary, for, you know, for, 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 for Haiti, you know. So praise God, you know, God is using it in that fashion. That's part of holding forth the word of light until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a great place to stop because um, that is where I'm at. I'm done. So, uh, so in conclusion, the glory of godliness. So it's reflected in the characteristics of the office. Next time we get together, we'll talk about it being reflected in the characteristics of the offices. Not just the office, but the offices, officers, the actual people that are in the office. And then, uh, then we'll look at it being reflected in the character of the congregation. Because it's not just the office and the officers, it's also the congregation. So many people think uh, that uh, this, this holiness thing is just for the pastors and the deacons. But that is not true. Right, First uh, Peter one says in verse fifteen, but as you, but he, as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. That's lifestyle, because it is written, "Be holy, for I am holy." So God desires our lives to be consecrated, so the gospel goes forth. The, do the do the people at work or school? This sounds almost like a repeat of what I said this morning. Do the people at work or school or the cookout know? And have a respect for God because of your relationship with Him. Uh, they either do or they don't. When you see an officer walk in the room, even if you know him, there's something about his authority, right? When a dude rolls in and he's all got all the gear on, got his weapon on, everything, you're just kind of like, okay, I hope I'm not in trouble. You know, that is an officer. Let's respect him. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And you know what? They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Our calling card is God himself. It's Jesus. So Paul started this discourse to the congregation in 1 Timothy 2.2, letting us know that all of us are to live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. So it's not just for the officers, not just for the office, it's for everybody. So if we live for Christ, we will carry the authority of being a child of God in His image. And His image, of course, is Christ. Uh, the expressed image of God is Jesus Christ, and He is the glory of God, right? He's the light of the world, and that light resides in you. So that is the first salvo from First Timothy chapter 3. I will have two more to come. And, uh, and then we will be done with that third chapter of First Timothy. Any questions, comments? I was just going to mention this question. I mean, we've been talking about the call as far as the church is concerned, but I was thinking about the congregation and the I don't know the 